0: and I've just just hit about rock bottom, and I'm thinking, I just honestly don't think I'm up for this at the moment. There's such a clash between the public persona and the private reality.
1: So you said you're two out of 10.
0: Hello and welcome to our third conversation in the mentoring series with Keith Farmer. I'm Lee Hatcher. and In this conversation, we're going to drill down into the very practical issues of the key qualities and qualifications of mentoring Christian leaders and pastors. Keith, thanks so much again for joining us.
1: Thanks, Lee.
0: Tell me how and why you've constructed this list that we're going to rip through of the key qualities and qualifications of a leader, Keith.
1: It initiated from the Australian Christian Mentoring Network, a conference, where I was asked to present a paper. And I I did that and listed the qualifications there. And I had a phone call with our older son and I told him what I was doing. And he said, could you read the list to me? So I did. And he said, Oh, you've left you left something out. You've actually left the most important thing out. Wow. And I said, Oh, okay. So so what's that? And he said, the X factor. Stupidly I said, What's the X factor? <laughs> Glad you did. He said, Well, it wouldn't be the X factor if if we all knew that. So I've I've done a fair bit of thinking about what might be the X factor and Maybe towards the end of what we're talking about, I'd I'd like to give some input about that X factor. I can
0: hardly wait. I want to go there now, but we will go patiently. First qualification and quality for a, a leader who's mentoring another leader is experience. 10, 15 years in Christian ministry.
1: I wouldn't put that as the most important. No. But it is important in the sense that leadership has its own stresses and pressures and Christian leadership, particularly Christian leadership in local church, it has a lot of communality with other leadership, but there are some particular and quite unique pressures and almost 360-degree rounded pressures that you need to understand the stress factor of a leader in order to effectively mentor a leader. So it's a long while since I was in local church, but when I was uh, leading the college, we, we had some uh, very difficult times, very difficult, much more difficult than I had ever imagined, um, and therefore almost anything that a leader talks about in theme rather than specific circumstance, I've been there. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, it's a matter of being there, done that, really. Mm -hmm. It's also worth saying this person with that experience also has to be in good shape personally. Yes. And emotionally.
1: Yes. Yes. But that's... in a sense, that's the bottom line that we've been talking about.
0: Faith that's intimate and organic is your second key qualification and quality. Explain that to me.
1: I, I think there's something that's um, infectious about a personal faith that is grounded in Scripture, but people actually recognise that it's a living reality It's not just a belief system. Yeah. And that there's something different about this person in a quiet, gentle way. There's nothing overtly, um, cataclysmically mm-hmm. present. But what is there about this person? And I would sense if the Spirit of God is working in us, there's not only some measure of integrity, but there's an inner centre quietness that is discernible and is also able to be caught.
0: Okay. Next one, doesn't surprise me, to be a good listener.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's That is a crucial one. Um, I would say that the first half of most mentoring sessions, I say... Very little
0: it's very revealing,
1: which probably means the first three quarters of an hour to an hour. That's not always true, but i the question I ask is how are you going?" and every question that I have is relevant, but it is meant to help the person to express what they're thinking, feeling, and what has happened to them so that for instance when i ask the question how are you going most pastors say good and i'm glad about that Um, and i guess i believe them at one level but if i can ask the right questions and listen well there actually is a quality to the relationship that allows the person to go down deeper and probably be a bit more honest. So semi-regularly, if we were to double back at the end of the mentoring, I don't do this, but if I was to say, look, he said you're good, but actually... doesn't sound
0: like it. Not
1: really true. And listening is an absolutely... Listening is so powerful. Can I tell you briefly a story? When I was in local church ministry... Um, A lady came to see me because she said she wanted counselling. I'd never met her before. She was a relative of people in the church. Um, I counselled her at my home because I have study there. She knocked on the door. I said hello to her. She said hello to me. We walked into my study. Before I was seated, she was talking to me about the dilemmas. She talked for a about three quarters of an hour, and uh, I said at that point something like, how do you think I can help you with these dilemmas? She completely ignored my question and kept on talking. At about an hour, she said, oh, my goodness, you people only do 50 minutes, don't you? And I've gone an hour. Thank you for your time. You've been an incredible help to me. And she left. Wow. (laughs) Okay. What went on then? I literally said one sentence. I started getting messages back through the family that she wished she had found me earlier and that I had helped her immensely. Honestly, I said one sentence during the whole time and she completely ignored that. She obviously felt listened to and that was cathartic, but it was also something that I think helped her work out what part of the answer to a dilemma what?
0: How powerful. And in our final conversation, I want to ask you, how do I know how to ask the right questions? I'm, I'm really looking forward to your answers about that. Next qualification and uh, quality for a, a good leader, mentoring a leader, is to have a passion for the well-being of Christian leaders.
1: Yes. I, it's almost a calling. It's a sensitivity mm. I guess because of my own experience and the recognition that leadership is so vital. Other than the the scriptures and the Holy Spirit within us, there's nothing, I think, as powerful for good or ill in Christian leadership than the quality of the leader. And I think... Both the Old Testament and the New Testament attest to that very clearly. God works through people and that he works through leaders very, very significantly. So if Satan can either take leaders out or blunt their um, effectiveness, then he will have inflicted a very, very important blow on the kingdom and on the uh, church's ministry, and I think he's doing that and he's done that uh, in recent times in Australia and and also beyond. So it's a strategic passion, but it's also a personal passion. Um, I actually, my experience as a mentor, I thought particularly mentoring right across the board, that there would be a range of leaders whom I would find difficult to relate to or would wonder how effective they were or maybe they were a bit lazy or whatever. That's not true at all. Mm. Uh, I've actually come to have an incredibly high opinion of those who are in Christian ministry. For instance, I cannot tell you any one person in the mentoring that I've done whom I would have thought their problem is that they're lazy. Now it may be that I only mentor a a limited range of, of leaders. I don't think so. So I have a very high regard for the people. I've actually come to care deeply about individuals. Now having said that, mentoring is something that uh, could work well with a mentor and mentoree for a season. So you need to be able to accept that either this person um, needs a different mentor or they want a different mentor. So you're not stuck with each other for ever and a day. But having said that, I find that I look forward to meeting with people because we've developed a personal relationship And we're talking about really important things that involve them and their families and and whatever. So I've actually developed a love for those people as well. So put all of those kind of factors together and it's given me a deep sense that um, not only is it crucial, and I really mean that, that leaders are in good shape, But anything that will help them to be in good shape is really very crucial.
0: Like being on their side. That's what
1: has been... That's right. So that, see, one of the things about mentoring, because you have to, gradually I worked out what are the the limits of mentoring, because there's lots of other helps, coaching, there's partial supervision counselling, and all of those are basically first cousins to to mentoring. Um, But there are some actually quite unique aspects of, of mentoring per se, and you can develop with a person, therefore, a very special relationship because it's basically about who they are. And people know whether you value them, and they know whether you are safe. So once, and th- actually there are a couple of the X factors yes. where it's difficult to define, even yes. define how, how it is. But in talking or relating to anybody, we've got these um, inner assessments that we're working on all the time and a couple of them are whether you're actually for that person and value them highly and the other is whether you're safe. There's, there's more as well. So um, I've come to regard it as not a sacred relationship in the sense that it's with, like with God, but it's certainly a very special, privileged relationship that needs to be um, valued, and I thank God for that, but also um, you give it your best because there's some pretty significant... Yeah. Uh, issues at stake.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean what a gift for both sides in yes. the end, actually. Yeah. And to be a good encourager, but you say not a flatterer.
1: Yeah. People most people have got a pretty good BS factor yes. built into them. Yeah. And
0: especially Australians.
1: Yes, yes. Very much so. And therefore, if you're going to say something positive to encourage somebody, you've got to mean it and it's got to be within a context that um, they can actually make sense of so that um, there's a very important gift I think it is which is to see the positive in um, even a situation that's multi-pronged and has some negative issues so somehow or other God's given me the capacity to um, if someone's talking Uh, and there's something that I can uh, encourage them about, then that becomes evident to me. For instance, um, it's fairly regularly true that um, we revisit um, what we talked about in the previous time and if there's some area where the person has moved forward or there's been a positive outcome, I would say something to them like, do you realise how different that is from when we talked last? In fact, you actually look different when you are talking about that, because you've obviously worked some positives there so that you feel some hope that that, and the person, because they've lived in their own shoes for the couple of months in between, they didn't even realise that, and that actually becomes a very strong encouragement to highlight, even in the midst of some dilemmas, and it's not that we dodge the dilemmas, but encouragement I think encouragement is a grossly underrated factor in motivation.
0: But it's gotta be fair income.
1: It's gotta be fair yeah, income, yes. Yeah, yeah. Not flattering. And and the the thing is about listening, you you almost can't You can't put on that you're a good listener if you're not because the questions that you ask or the comments that you make will at some stage show the person that you haven't listened. It'll give you away, yes. Yes. So part of the relationship development is that people realise, hang on, this person has actually caught hold of what I have tried to say to my board or to my team or whatever. Somebody gets it. Somebody yes. gets it,
0: yeah. yeah. Another key qualification and quality, which interests me greatly, is a leader who has handled pressure constructively, you mm. say, and has been able to move on and, and forgive.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, can I just say, to preface this, I haven't always handled pressure well, so I'm not going to set myself up as a, a model there. But this issue of being able to move on is absolutely crucial to effective, to effective discipleship and to effective leadership. Um, tomorrow I'm speaking to a, um, a Zoom presentation of pastors for ACC, and they've asked me to talk about uh, how to finish well or what some of the key ingredients of finishing well or what on the other side of the ledger might um, work against a person finishing well. So one of the factors that I'm going to highlight, and this comes out of my mentoring, is that probably other than burnout... The factor that leaders share with me that is more likely that they not finish well than any other factor is that they have been hurt at some stage in their leadership relationships and responsibility and often that is with other leaders so it may be within a team or it may be with a board, or it may be by people in the congregation having some dilemmas. They have been hurt deeply and in an ongoing way to the level that they become disillusioned, negative, cynical, and are unable then... To minister effectively, so hurt that is held in and not dealt with becomes a major inhibitor, not only of living effectively but of leading effectively in the future.
0: And that person might need more than mentoring;
1: might need professional counselling. They they may, but there's a few um, there's a few principles or um, practical and principle guidelines that I um, have used myself that maybe give a leader not only the desire to let it go, because sometimes it secretly feels good to let it go. It actually doesn't do much good. me. Yeah, Yeah. but it secretly feels good. So if you can reinforce the fact that Um, the person who can move on is actually the person who is likely to live most joyfully and effectively, not without ongoing trauma, but still. And the person who harbours it is probably the deepest and the longest victim of a held grudge. So it seems to me as if there are two key poisons that we can um, have within our system. Uh, One is uh, the poison of guilt and the grace of God and living in grace, deeply in grace is the answer to that. But the second one is grudges and living with a humble heart that says basically given similar circumstances or the wrong circumstances, who knows what my response might have been to that or if I knew a little bit more about that person, I would have a quite different view. So one of the really important things about being able to handle the hurts and the right to hold a grudge, because the right to eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, that's just justice. There's, in one sense, that's an Old Testament yes. teaching. So to give that right up, you have to have a Resource that you're committed to personally and helping the other person to be released from that, so they can move on. Some of the repercussions might still be there. I know that I'm on the way towards forgiving somebody, and I love the. I used to hate the idea of praying for somebody who'd done you in, because I reckon I've had a pretty easy life, but I've been done in a few times. Yes. Most of us you have, have been. Yes. And if we like to ruminate on those, we can get into a circular self-talk that's not only not good for us but not good for our key relationships and um, we need to short-circuit that with a recognition that, hang on, um, it's a stewardship responsibility to um, deal with this but the spirit of God in me will enable me to give up the right to get back because God is the judge and he knows more than I do and therefore he'll be better at it, fairer. When I was in local church ministry, um, first ministry, I was a novice and there was a lady in the church who many people were fairly critical of her and her lifestyle and I suppose I could say without being judgmental, there was some surface evidence that would attest There's to that. smoke, yeah. I, I used to stay in contact with her pastorally and it was after a couple of years. I visited her one day and she just shared with me her living situation at home. And I thought, oh my goodness. If I had only known, and then my thoughts went to, because I used to hear other people criticising her.
0: All the judgments.
1: And there would be something inside me, because what she'd share with me was confidential. If you only knew. Yeah. If you only knew, you would say of that lady, she is incredible. I don't know how I would cope with those circumstances. So uh, I give some people a bit of a framework. To actually encourage them personally and for the kingdom 's sake and for relationships like, to move on
0: and who am I to cast the first stone
1: yeah that 's yeah. right I, the other,
0: the other one of the other qualities is to have a set model of leadership and mentorship, but also have a degree of flexibility yes.
1: That. Yeah. yes, and this is uh, this is the kind of um, Framework that I give people if they, if it's helpful to them because my model is only one model and as you know there's a whole range of uh, models for mentoring and there's a whole range of um, variables on which mentoring actually exists so that my model is a fairly um, gentle model. It's not too directive. It's um, it's it can have that steel fist in it. Yes. But its actual framework allows it to be very gentle. There are much more directive models of mentoring, and on some occasions, I've concluded that a mentoree needs somebody more directive than me. So, just to let you know that my model is just, and if people find any help, then take it and and use it but it's it's only an underlying um, it's it's a a, um, a scaffolding or a um, template that you can fall back on if you need to so that you know that if the person doesn't want or hasn't anything else to share then I say, would it be okay if I just scroll through the areas that we haven't touched on today? So rocking up to a mentoring situation, I don't know what we're going to talk about and it doesn't worry me. Even if the person says everything's fine on nine out of ten in my emotional tank, I was wondering what we're going to talk about, then I would say, okay, could I just ask you how you're going? And it's it's a little bit like the GP check-up. Um, you, you probably know that at my stage of life, every year I have to go to the doctor um, because I won't keep my driver's licence without a medical check-up. And he runs the rule over me in all of the vital signs and a couple of tests and whatever. And that actually allows people in the community to feel fairly safe about the fact that I can still drive a, drive a car. I look at mentoring in its uh, most constructive when you're actually helping people to not be halfway over the cliff or even not at the edge of the cliff, but you've helped them build a few fences.
0: Before they get there.
1: and And they're a little bit back from... The cliff. This is the kind of three-monthly or six-monthly GP check-up where the vital signs are just being looked at in a way that the other person's driving it, but you're just guiding underneath. So that every now and then, when I ask the question, um, how are you going, and then are there any particular areas that you would like to talk about, we might talk for two hours about one issue. Wow. And uh, uh, as the person gets into talking about it, then I, I gradually usually recognise, hang on, we've just got to stick with this because this is important and this is fairly deep. This doesn't happen all that often, but we could spend two hours talking about the one thing and I have not, I have not scrolled through or anything Probably better to conclude and do another session because after two hours, probably they're pretty tired and you are too. But that's the flexibility. So I can go in either... And and on several occasions over the years, that would have happened, just one issue.
0: And within all of that, there needs to be a recognition of boundaries
1: on the the part of the mentor. Yes, yes. Boundaries... um, they 're incredibly important, yes, in fact we could talk for a long time I'm about sure. boundaries yep. and how important boundaries are in ministry but and it it only became clear to me as I mentored because i hadn't even read any books about mentoring when I started. Mentoring, and one of my mentorees, early mentorees, gave me a couple of books. I'm not sure how to interpret that but they <laughs> actually gave me a couple of books about. Incidentally, the best general book about mentoring that I yeah. have ever read is a, a book by a colleague of mine, Rick Lewis. Mentoring Matters. That deep, but also very, very practical. Rick is a colleague and he now has a full-time mentoring role, including internationally, not so much except by Zoom at the moment, but Rick, under normal circumstances, spends about half of his year over in Europe and in in Britain, and it's a, a brilliant book. So if you want to just... It's good in that Rick is a very good biblical scholar and historian. For instance, he will give you the background for mentoring, how mentor ever became a factor or whatever, if give you biblical bases for mentoring, biblical examples of when mentoring happened, because there are lots of them. And in the training yes. that we do, we get Rick in to actually give that biblical basis for mentoring, because there's lots of examples, including Jesus and his disciples yes. of the mentoring model. But you gradually work out what what are the boundaries of mentoring. For instance, um, we don't get into counselling. No. Now, that's a little bit of a dilemma for me because... You can do it. uh, Yeah, Yeah. for, what, 30 years I was a registered psychologist and did a fair bit of counselling. But that's actually almost a difficulty for me because I might slide into it Mentoring is not counselling. As soon as there is an issue that is of a difficult kind of impact on the person, either psychologically or emotionally or relationally, it's better for the mentor to have resources of counselling to which or to whom they can refer. And even with my background say it's a, a a marriage difficulty, on occasions, not very often I would say, look, if you are agreeable to this, we'll step aside from the mentoring for three sessions and we'll do some marriage counselling. But if actually that doesn't work, I'm going to ask whether you would be prepared to be referred to a counsellor because mentoring is actually not counselling but you know those cousins that I mentioned like pastoral supervision coaching um, spiritual um, sp- spiritual direction yeah. they're all very legitimate and have their own but mentoring because it's specifically in my understanding of the essence about who the person is and coaching is more about what they do. Supervision is more about ensuring that there's excellence in the way they express their ministry and follow all the hoops and are not dangerous and whatever. So...
0: These are very different.
1: Yes. yes. Yeah. And and I've, I've made some mistakes so that there's sometimes a temptation to get into things like mediation if there's a conflict, um, I don't get into mediation anymore um, because that will pollute your mentoring um, relationship because in mediation you may actually inject some areas that the person whom you are mentoring does not respond well to at all. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a very important... um, have the hard conversation factor to mentoring. There is a very important, and I, I think if I've, if I've made significant mistakes in mentoring over the years, and I have, that one theme of those state mistakes would be that I'm a little bit too gentle. I think once or twice or three times I should have been much more direct because there was a fair bit at stake, not only for the person, but for other people as well, so that you, you learn what your weaknesses are and my weaknesses are tending towards being a little bit too too gentle. gentle. Yeah. But the one that I found um, is, is a legitimate um, adjunct to mentoring is advocacy. So that, for instance, I was uh, last night with a group of elders of a church uh, here in Sydney um, and I was advocating on behalf of a couple whom I have mentored about sabbatical leave, about it would be really good in their ministry if this church could have a policy that at some stage allowed them to take a sabbatical for refreshment because they've been in this ministry for 10 to 15 years. They've, never, they've had long service leave. They've had holidays, but there's something special. So I actually went and I spent, actually in that situation, I spent a couple of hours with a group of elders just outlining the biblical basis for sabbatical leave, what it entailed, the practicalities and whatever. So advocacy, because it's not conflicted normally, the people can take it or leave it. I leave the room. At some stage, they keep, they keep talking. So I've learned that I think that's a legitimate outcome of mentoring. Hi, I'm Peter Mayrick from Partners in Ministry. Partners in
0: Ministry wants to support and equip church leaders to better lead their churches in Christ's mission. And we want to see the Church of Christ grow through effective ministry, which produces disciples who make other disciples. We do this through providing one-to-one support for church leaders, and by providing tools and training for church leaders, which are focused on achieving effectiveness in church ministry and leadership. We would love to work with you, we'd love to meet you, and we'd love to support you in your ministry. If you're interested in taking up our offer, please contact us through info at partnersinministry.com or through our website and we'll follow up with you. Thanks so much. Final point, and it covers a number of areas as well, is the need for the mentor in practical terms to model reliability and punctuality. I think of all things to to highlight, how interesting those two.
1: It seems like... A little thing? Yes. And almost
0: but incidental
1: can, or peripheral. It can say a lot, though. It says a very... Yes. What it says is how much you value this person totally. and this opportunity, that you give it a high priority, not only in terms of being there, but also of giving the person the um, full-time, and that it's important enough to you to have disciplined yourself to be there on time. Now, every now and then that doesn't happen, but people get to know. Totally. They they know that, and I've, I've gotten lost a few times when I'm, <laughs> say, in a capital city that is not my own, even, even in, in Sydney I've gotten lost once or twice, and people understand that. I like to have some... Uh, borders there, some margin, and that's an important that's issue wise. that we yeah. talk about yes. generally in life. But I like to give myself margins so that there is a break between, significant break, and that I get to places early. It's about respect, really. It yeah. is. Yes. And, and um, I go beyond that. I use that particular, in particular, the punctuality um, To make a point that to get as much as possible into the framework and the life of the mentoree is a constructive part of mentoring. So that, for instance, um, I would say, other than COVID, 80% of my mentoring would take place in the ministry situation of the person I am mentoring or their choice. It might be at their home. It might be in a coffee shop. But I put myself at the point of linking with them in their situation. You've got no idea how um, educative that is as well. You learn a lot of things by just looking at their office. Um, yes, I'm um, sure. I have had the privilege of being in the homes of a fairly high percentage of my mentorees. and that actually involves people who have have needed to have their home as a sanctuary because otherwise they will not actually survive. Mm. But somehow or another, I've had the absolute privilege of them inviting me into their home. And even um, one senior pastor um, of a very significant church, when he had his 50th birthday party, he asked me to speak. Well, I mean, I have to be careful about what I say. (laughs) Uh, But what an incredible thing that through our mentoring at this stage of his life and ministry, he's welcoming me into that space.
0: So after all that, those key qualities and qualifications, tell me the X Factor, Keith. What's the X Factor?
1: The, the X Factor, I'd put it in the framework of something that I learned from one of my colleagues, Peter McHugh. It's in the framework of before but not without. In other words, it's about what is, what is more important or most important so that I would frame it... Um, that it is about listening before, but not without looking to have effective outcomes on the ground. Mm. So it's about um, the value you place on essence um, rather than on outcomes, and people. And it's very uh, surreptitious office. Often it's it's covert rather than overt, but people get to know um, whether you are actually interested in their life or not, or whether you are just asking questions for the sake of getting information. Mm. So it's, it's a, um, a flavour. Um, it's in some ways a pastoral gifting that places the pastoral heart as a very, very significant part of mentoring and the mentoring relationship. Uh, I don't think you need to be a particular kind of personality or actually the giftedness of the person in terms of practical gifts um, because I'm, I'm actually quite an introverted person and some people might say, well, why would you go into yes. a mentoring um, vocation if you're introverted and you're spending most of your time with people, uh, I'm, an introvert just recoups by being by themselves. It doesn't mean we don't like people. No, no. It probably means I, have, I need a little bit longer between sessions <laughs> to get ready for the next person. So I would say um, particular styles of um, personality a wide range of styles. I I don't find any barrier to mentoring males and females. Um,
0: Which we'll talk about in our final session. Yeah. Cause it's quite an important
1: yeah. point, this. So, the so there's something that comes out of us as people, and this comes back to the spirit of God, his flavours and his colours gradually coming out in us, that communicates the x factor that i don 't even know how to talk about it mm. properly, and when when I was faced with it, I had to try and work out what it might be, so i I might be able to communicate it to other people but it's so it 's the fruit of the spirit, if you like, yeah a lot of what you 've
0: been saying returns me to the conversation we had in our second conversation about security. I keep thinking so much is grounded in that concept of security. Yes. Is there one particular instance in, in your own life or experience as a mentor, or a mentoree for that matter, that you can share with us to illustrate the significance of that? Wow.
1: Uh, yeah, yes, there is. Um, goes back about, I guess, about 10 years. Um, I was invited to be the um, speaker or uh, input person at the Australian um, Defence Force Protestant Chaplains Annual Retreat. It was held in the southern highlands near Barrel and I think it was four or five days in a beautiful old monastery and there were about, I think about 30 chaplains present and I had, I had, uh, I think, an hour and a half presentation for each of the mornings. But every morning started, first of all, immediately after breakfast with a chapel service. And the chaplains gathered. And each morning there was a chaplain who led that. I must admit that, or confess that, I was a bit preoccupied mostly because I was speaking for an hour and a half next but the final morning, I wasn't taking a great deal of notice until some way into the chapel service when I heard the chaplain say something like, you all know me well. I've been to a lot of these. I've been a chaplain, I think he said, for 18 years. I wasn't listening quite well enough at that stage. Um, I've been deployed overseas, I think he said, three or four times. Um, uh, you you know that I had a bad year last year. I ended up in in the military hospital, rehabilitation and hospital, because I had a reasonably severe stroke. And he said I, I lost um, some speech, I lost some memory, I lost partial use of one side of my body. And he said that facility is an absolutely magnificent facility and I was lying there and I was angry at God. And I was saying to God and to myself, I've laid my life on the line for you, which he had literally done, and this is what I get. Wow. Where is the fairness in that and the recognition that... So he said, all of the resources were there, the, you know, the occupational therapist, speech therapists, all of them were brilliant. And I just wanted to tell a whole lot of them to go away. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. He said, one morning there was a young woman came to the foot of my bed and I'd never seen her before and I hardly even looked up at her. And she was fairly tentative and very gentle. And she said to me something like, I hear you're not doing too well. And he said, I grunted. She said, Do you mind if I share something with you? And he said, I grunted again. She took that as a yes, and she pulled from her pocket a little book that I recognised immediately as a New Testament. I get a bit emotional when I say that. She opened up the New Testament. And she said, this is the word of the Lord to you today. And she read part of Romans 8. Who can separate us from the love of God? Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. He said she closed the New Testament, put it back in in her pocket and said, this is the word of God to you today. And she left. He said, I made extensive inquiries. Nobody knows who that lady is. Wow. When he said that, the hairs went up on the back of my head. Same dad. here. Oh, oh, angels visit unawares. <laughs> angels. Nobody knows who she is. Um, the message, the deepest message to a person of ministry is nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then he said, and I'm back, folks. <laughs> and he raised the arm of the side of his body that had been partly paralyzed, And a cheer went up. I feel a, like cheering myself. Through the whole, yes. whole group. Oh, my goodness. And he was back. And I think that is the power of recognising the security of the love of God, even in very difficult circumstances.
0: Even in what you describe, and this is quite a profound insight, even in what you describe as the God season of the moment, can you explain that to us? And the context for what we're talking about for mentors, possible mentors.
1: I think, and this comes from the scripture, I'm indebted to um, the... Peterson paraphrase or translation where he says to some of the religious leaders, you're able to discern what season it is from the weather, but you can't discern the God season. In other words, I'm the Messiah and I'm here and you're actually on a different page. You're off, you, You're not only ignoring me, you are Uh, against me, you can't discern the God season. So discerning the God season is actually a very, very important issue. My tentative discernment of this God season is to say, um, go deeper, to go further. Because actually, the model for discipleship is if it's not broken, it's at least cracked. It is actually deviating from following Jesus and who he is and what he teaches and if we need to know the nub of that read the Sermon on the Mount that's where we go deeper Yeah. Yes. read the Sermon on the Mount and see what values what key issues are for living effectively there and actually value them at that proportion or, or whatever so um, I I actually think that the, uh, the mentoring opportunity allows us that relationship that takes people to the deepest part of who they are and relates to God um, as a secure, loving, gracious father that allows them then to be different people. Mm.
0: Can I do something different? Put my clipboard down and go through a bit of a role play with you because I think we've covered so much, so much deep wisdom in what this is like to perhaps give people a bit of an idea of, okay, so what does it look like? What does it sound like? And I'm not in ministry. I've known lots of friends. I've got a wife in ministry, so I know a fair bit. But if I play the role of a minister doing it tough, you up for that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how would you start the session off, Keith?
1: Great. Great to be back in contact again. Great to uh, see you, Keith. Yeah, yeah. I'm interested what's happened since <laughs> we met last. I'm aware of what we talked about previously. But um, how are you going? You start wherever you like. What would you like to talk about today?
0: A lot of water's flowed under the bridge since we last spoke, um, And I've been thinking of how much I say to you for a while because I've probably been able to say this for a while in quite a few sessions. I've been in this game for 15 years. Mm. Um, Built a significant ministry. You know how significant it is. Uh, Lots of people, lots of results and uh, lots of notoriety. Fantastic. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. But to be honest, I've, I've come a gutter. I, um, but personally, you, you've spoken about the emotional attack. Mine's, mine's dry.
1: Okay, what well, what would you place yourself at at the moment
0: out of 10? Oh, uh, two. Two, okay. I, uh, I really, I think the thing that's made me own up to this more than anything else is, is my sleep. I'm sleeping terribly. Right. I'm in strife with my wife all the time. Right. And she's in strife with me. Yeah. Um, don't even start talking about the relationship with my 15 year old daughter um, and I've just I've just hit about rock bottom and I'm thinking I just honestly don't think I'm up for this at the moment and it's there's such a clash between the public persona and the private reality that I think I've got to come good with this and and rip the scab off okay. and confess to you that I'm at rock bottom.
1: So do you so mind if I ask you just a few questions to drill down a little bit yeah, into, into sure. that? So you said you're two out of ten. Yeah. Is that a fairly regular thing or are you oscillating? Um,
0: oh, no, that's fairly locked in.
1: Actually. Okay, so I,
0: I would say I've been heading around that zone for at least the last year. And there have been things that have been happening that have really kind of
1: yeah. So that was going to be my next question: Was there a precipitating factor that was it the straw that broke the camel's back? Or there is, yeah,
0: Um, which is interesting that you ask. Um, A couple, a family, uh, who we were perhaps as close to as anyone in our congregation. Um, Been on holidays with them, loved them, same house group. Disciple the guy especially, uh, my wife and his wife have a, a deep personal relationship. Our kids get on well together. We've had a lot of fun times. A lot of, And we've traveled through some really significant issues of life and experiences of life and death with them. And um, nine months ago, he says to me, we're moving churches, which is his right. But it felt like such an utter betrayal to me, mm. and some of the things he, he was saying about the nature of our congregation, its friendliness or not, um, some of the things he said about my preaching, and I've always held that up to be, you know, the big deal. And and the really hurtful thing about it is that as I reflect on what he said, I think he's right. I mean, my, my preaching kind of writes itself. I've, I've had the formula now for so many years of those fifteen years, and um, I just
1: so know. you you've gone into a loop of self-talk Yeah. that's actually quite negative. Yeah. And and but there's
0: substance in that self-talk.
1: Substance? Well,
0: it's not. I'm not inventing it out of nowhere. There's, okay. there's real. Say say with the preaching. I think. you I think you,
1: he's right. You would accept that you. Were, over many years, you've done a very effective preaching.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and with great results, and as you, results are judged.
1: Yeah. And yeah. you would accept that actually the longer you stay, the harder it gets to be fresh for these Too true. people. Too true. And maybe... And for me. Yes, yeah. for you personally. And the people are looking for you to keep leading them. Yeah. And if they've been with you for 15 or so years, when you come in fresh, that's that's... Good, but the longer a ministry goes, the more difficult it is to be fresh in that way. I find it
0: a crushing burden today.
1: Yes. Do you know that I know those people?
0: Yeah, I do, yeah.
1: You catch on to what I mean? Yeah. I don't actually know who you're talking about, of course. No. I would have no idea, but I hear that story, unfortunately, almost every second day of my mentoring. Wow.
0: About people leaving churches, or
1: and the hurt uh, that is, yes. and how how difficult it is for leaders who have particularly built in to people whom they saw as lifelong not only totally not only um, people in the congregation but personal friends, yes. and they not only leave as a shock, but they leave with a parting very negative communication. Now, unfortunately, when I ask, is there anything you need to talk about with me today, there's a whole range of things that people talk about. That would be the most often expressed thing that is on the heart and mind of leaders today. Why? There's a whole range of um, reasons, including the fact that there's a a consumerist approach to church and there is a merry-go-round. I call it the sloshing around of Christians between churches and my guess is that at any one time there's thousands of people doing this because if you have, again I don't want to be judgmental or critical here, but if you're looking to get only Something out of being at a church, then you will look for the best preaching, the best
0: as a consumer,
1: yeah as a consumer, yeah, yeah. and if you 're not getting that, you will not see that what I can give or what I can commit is actually really crucial here, so you won 't feel that it 's a big decision to make you just move move on and what I probably say fairly regularly is those people will move on from the, that next church too at some stage. I think you're probably right. Um, so that we need to recognise that the dilemma is not a dilemma in you or your church. It's actually a dilemma in discipleship, that it's become consumerist-oriented rather than commitment-oriented and giving-oriented, which is in direct contradistinction to what Jesus taught about being a disciple. But I'm the
0: discipler. I'm supposed to be the one offering discipleship.
1: Two things there. One is you have a significant discipling role, but you're not the only discipler. And the other thing is to recognise that the model of events-driven Christianity has led people to believe that they can grow as Christians on worship services almost alone. Mm -hmm. And actually that doesn't work. Uh, We're not actually growing mature Christians. And even people who are best, partly as a result of COVID, people who are best at the events-driven model are saying, COVID has taught us that there has to be a discipleship deepening that goes doesn't necessarily lay aside any of the excellence of the of the of the model but actually swings underneath it much deeper kind so there's a there's a potential and an actual dilemma that goes way beyond your church way beyond you as a leader and I think God is dealing with that in the God season that we're in at the moment. He's taking us deeper to go further.
0: I'll stop there. And I'll get back to my interviewing kind of role. Okay. What are we trying to do then in that session with me?
1: The first thing, and I, we've only just started. To yeah, get yeah, that's it. right. Yeah, we we, is, go, we yeah. go a lot further. But the first thing, I'm trying to put it into context so that even... What seems like a negative context can be quite encouraging to leaders if they recognise, oh my goodness, this guy, this guy actually could have written the script for me. Yeah. Um, this is something that's happening even... Because t- uh, I mentor along, alongside a person who other people would see as being very successful or very effective. And I say, what would you like to talk about today? And that's what he starts with. That has been more impacting and hurtful one family or whatever compared with whatever else is happening in the church.
0: But I started to feel that I'm not alone. Yes. Because I as that minister, I don't tell anybody about it. yeah. None of my mates in ministry who are equally doing it tough, I don't tell anyone. But now I'm starting to think, oh... I'm not alone, Yeah.
1: Actually, yes. So we'd start with that, with the context, and then an understanding. I'd ask you some more questions about what you're feeling, the sort of question like, um, is this, are you two out of ten on a regular basis, or are yes. you oscillating, so that I can get some understanding of what might be behind this, and then we would start to help to unpack some strategies for you, one, to get your tank. Um, filled up a bit more, but also strategies for handling that kind of disappointment.
0: Including sabbatical rest, which we will deal with, with many other issues in a final Q&A session in our next final conversation. Keith, thanks so much again.
1: Okay.